it's kind of fun to be hanging out on Ivanhoe's nowadays because we're kind of going through, through a little bit of a baby boom. And if you're a baby guy like me, it's really, really fun. Baptism this morning, just yesterday, I should have told you that Eric and Emily before had, had a little baby boy. And Alexander was born, so tomorrow I get to go hold a little baby again. It's a good thing that they have those alarms in the hospital. They don't want to just walk off with those babies. You know, it's always fun to go and hold them and, and to think back to when my kids were little. It makes me a little bit jealous. I'm way beyond that stage, but, but that baby stage was fun, and I miss it. And then I sleep through the night, and I remember, oh yeah, I don't miss it that much. It is really nice when your kids get old and you sleep all night long. You know, I have now gotten a taste of of all four stages of parenting. They say that there's four basic stages of parenting. Your first role as a parent is the role of commander, right? You are commander of your children. Those first years of parenting, you make all the decisions for your children. You decide when they're going to wake up. Well, they decide when they're going to wake up. You decide when they're going to go to bed, right? You decide what they're going to eat for their meals. You decide when they're going to get in the car and where they're going to go. You decide everything for them. A good parent starts as a, as a benevolent dictator, but they don't stay that way, right? As children grow up, they need to learn to make good decisions on their own. So you make a shift from being a commander to being a coach, right? You begin to help them explore the world around them and, and how to make good decisions. And, and so you celebrate with them and you let them experience the joys of their good choices and you let them also experience the pain of their bad choices. And then usually somewhere in the teen years, you begin to realize that, um, that you're not really the only or maybe even the major influence in your child's life anymore. And that's a sobering moment. Right? And now you, you shift from being their coach to being their counselor. And, and you help them move from dependence on you to independence in this world. It's a significant shift you make. And then finally, the last shift you make is you move from being their counselor to being their consultant. Right? They leave the nest, they go out on their own, and, and you send them off with a, hey, let me know if you need any help. You expect them to call you daily, and they don't anymore. But every once in a while, you're still their consultant on life. Right? I learned that I entered this stage a few months ago when, when my daughter called from college and she said, um, yeah, my friends and I, we just signed a lease on a house because we're going to live off campus next year. Did she call to check in with me at all? Not one bit. You know, shouldn't that be something you check with your dad on? No, because she's grown up on her own. I'm just a consultant, you know, every once in a while. You know, hopefully, you families up front here will enjoy the experience with Kyle and Kaylin all along those stages. Get ready because the house renting phase is closer than you think. It's coming soon. This morning, we recognize together a similar shift in relationship. And we're not talking about relationship with you and your children. This morning, we're talking about a shift, a significant shift in our relationship with God himself. Right? We get to see the shift that Jesus made in relationship with his disciples and it parallels the exact shift he makes with us still today. So last Thursday, my guess is most of you didn't realize it, but last Thursday was Ascension Day, the most forgettable church holiday on the church calendar. How many of you said Happy Ascension Day to somebody last Thursday? Yeah, I didn't think so. That's okay. 
Not to get this single demise, so they have other things to say on that day, right? But take out your Bibles, and we're going to read about the ascension. Take out your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. We don't make a lot of Ascension Day. My calendar wasn't very different from any other Thursday on last Thursday. Companies don't readily give time off to you so you can go celebrate Ascension Day with your family, exchange gifts, and celebrate that way. But I'm not going to let Ascension Day go past this year without looking at it because we need to recognize the significant shift. Really, the significant shifts, plural, that it brings into our lives. So listen to the story again. We're going to read from Luke 24. I'm going to start at verse 36 uh, to set up the last little paragraph there. The disciples, Jesus has just risen from the dead. They've been told that he's alive. Many of them haven't seen him yet. And here's what happens, starting at verse 36 of Luke 24. While they, this the disciples, were still talking about this, which is his resurrection, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands. In his feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled as was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now it's important for us to recognize, remember Ascension Day, and to recognize the important shifts that this moment brings into our relationship and brings into our purpose still today, brings to your life and my life. Right? It, it, it's because of these shifts that the disciples, if you notice, celebrate what happens here. I mean, think about that. They just see Jesus risen from the dead again. They're probably looking forward to being with him for an extended time. They thought they'd lost him forever and the loss has come back again. And he walks around a town and as he's as he's praying with them, as he's blessing them, he disappears up into heaven again. Now, the natural reaction I think would be to be sad. He's gone again. I thought he was going to be with me. He's gone again. But the Bible tells us that they went back to Jerusalem filled with joy. They actually celebrate Jesus leaving them, being taken away from them. I think they can celebrate because they recognize 
the major seismic shift that just happened, and they understood that they had reason to celebrate. I want us to see the shifts, because there's shifts that happen in our relationship now with Jesus as well. And the first shift that they see, that they experience, it is how we see Jesus. Because here at the Ascension, Jesus moves from being the suffering servant to being Jesus, the reigning king. Right? Because of the Ascension, we need to reset our image and our mind of Jesus. Right? We, we often read the Gospels. As you read the Gospels, you see the picture, very appropriately, of Jesus, the suffering servant. That's who he was for those 33 years that he lived on this earth, especially for those three years of ministry that he had. He was one who, who served those who had nothing and who deserved nothing. And he gave himself away completely, right? Jesus wasn't interested in power. He wasn't interested in, in position. He wasn't interested in earning the respect of, of the local influential leaders of the towns. All he was concerned about as he lived his life here was giving away the love of God. And so you see Jesus touching despised lepers who no one else would dare touch. You see him talking to little children when everybody else would, would get them away. You see Jesus accepting prostitutes at a dinner party thrown for him when everybody else would shut the door on them. You see Jesus surrounding himself with smelly fishermen and hated tax collectors. You see Jesus taking time out of his schedule to give himself away to demon-possessed people, to a bleeding woman, to a lame man, to people whose society had thrown away, and he suffers for them. He's a suffering servant to them. That's Jesus, plain clothes, dirty feet, humble actions, right? But our Jesus doesn't remain the suffering servant. Yes, he still has the scars on his hands and his feet and in his side. He shows those scars to his disciples. He says, yes, it's me. I suffered all the way to the cross. That's how much of a suffering servant I am. But he's evidence that he got down off of that cross and he got up out of that tomb now. And that changes everything. Because of his great victory over sin and his victory over death, because he was willing to be put to death, and God raising him up, that changes everything. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. What does it change? It says, now God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess, and heaven and earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The highest place. Our Jesus has been transformed from the humble suffering servant now to the victorious king. That's what the ascension marks. This is a coronation ceremony, the coronation of a king. The disciples were witness to Jesus taking his rightful place at the throne of all the universe, where the earth is now his footstool, where his enemies now are crushed 
under his authority and power, where Satan will be forced to bow down and finally surrender, and where we, as followers of Jesus Christ, followers of the King, are welcomed into the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a big deal. At the ascension, we say goodbye to the meek and mild and humble earthly Jesus. And we say hello to the glorious King Jesus sitting on his throne. And that reality, the reality of Jesus on that throne at this very moment, changes how we live our lives. This is sure. That we live now knowing that we have a king who loves us beyond our comprehension. No matter how undeserving we are, his love never fades away, never disappears. No, no force of hell, no scheme of man can ever claim us from his hand. Right? That's what we live with. We live now knowing that we have a king of kings who will use his power for our good. Yes, Satan still works in this world. He still has power, but our king's power is important. We live knowing that King Jesus is reigning forever on his throne. And that gives us hope for today, strength for tomorrow, assurance for eternity. That's why the disciples can move forward with joy. They go back to Jerusalem filled with joy. Why? Because they've seen the king take his rightful place. They've seen him take the throne he deserves. They witnessed his coronation. And now you and I, we too need to welcome King Jesus. We need to see him in his exalted highest place and worship him there. We need to let that truth change how we live. Yes, in all our daily interactions, we follow the pattern of the suffering servant. That's what we're called to do. Follow in his footsteps the way he lived here on this earth. We give ourselves away to others as he gave himself away to others. And we do that. We follow that pattern with confidence. Knowing we are children of the king. Who's using his perfect power on our behalf. Knowing that we will follow him fully, right? If we follow him as a suffering servant, he will also fulfill his promise to say, and someday you will reign with me. It's first shift. We shift from Jesus the suffering servant to seeing him as Jesus the reigning king. And that changes everything. The second significant shift we see on the ascension transformation is the shift from God's earthly work through Jesus to God's earthly work through the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered what it would have been like if Jesus hadn't descended? What if he had stuck around on earth for a while longer? What if he had taken up residence, maybe found a big old house in the center of Jerusalem and lived there for a while? Wouldn't that have been amazing? Wouldn't that have been world-transforming? All of a sudden people can see him, can come visit him, can hear him talk, can see him continue his healing ministry. What if, what if Jesus did that today? What if we found out that Jesus came back in physical form, maybe he bought a house here in Grandville, and people can come, but he's going to be here for three years. Don't you think... Well, that would change the world. That would be the way that everybody would believe at the end of three years. How could 
anybody denied? Would that change everything? They would have to believe, right? Why? Because he did that once. He did show up for three years. And he did miraculous things. He worked miracles. He healed people, raised people from the dead. He did for three years teach people about the amazing love of God. He even died and rose again. And what were the results? Did, did the whole world suddenly believe because they couldn't deny? Hardly. A few second-hand citizens believed. See, the presence of the physical Jesus on this earth did not start a worldwide transformation. Jesus' life and death, his, his earthly work, set the stage for the powerful work of the Holy Spirit to begin a revolution that changed the world. And Jesus, in the passage we read, he said, I told you this is how it's going to happen. Jesus taught his disciples all about this. He tried to get them to understand how the Holy Spirit was going to work. Sometime read John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Three chapters where he, he's trying to teach them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Right? And then the third chapter, chapter 16, he finally simply says to them, Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, and listen to this. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, with a capital C, it's the Holy Spirit, right? Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So Jesus, Jesus tells us clearly that it's for our own good that he ascends, for our own good that he goes away. This transition that God makes from the physical presence on earth in Jesus Descending the Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. That is what transforms this world. Because our God is not a local God. Our God is not only the God of Israel, but the God of the Middle East. He's not a God limited by time and place, by a physical body. Our God is spirit, and this Holy Spirit sends the truth of Jesus all throughout this world. Without the bound of time and space. And he... He sends that truth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of this earth. Which would include Bangalore, Michigan. Which would include your home and your neighborhood. Which would include your heart. Worldwide transformation. And that shift should bring us, as it did the disciples, eager expectation. Because when we shift from, from the physical presence of our risen Jesus, we welcome the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that sweeps across this world free of those limitations. We welcome the power of the Spirit to convince and convict hearts all around the world of the truth of Jesus Christ. As awesome as it would have been to see Jesus in person alive, I don't want to live in any other era, any other time in 
is we are New Testament people of the Holy Spirit. And we get to witness the Holy Spirit setting hearts free, setting lives free, making hardened hearts soft. We get to experience the Holy Spirit working in our own hearts, bringing us hope for today and hope for eternity. We get the privilege of experiencing the Holy Spirit moving not only in us, but in through us, empowering, encouraging us to be bold for God's purposes, to be used by Him. How exciting is that? I hope we get a little excited. By the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we're able to see Jesus for who He really is. The Son of God, our loving Lord, our risen Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords. And by the power of the Spirit, we're used for His purposes. Kingdom purposes. And in God's shocking and amazing plan, at the ascension, He makes a shift. From us, all of us, every day you and me, from us simply being followers of Jesus to us being leaders in the great work of God. Right, this moment was a transformation moment for his disciples. For three years, they had been faithful followers. Right? They had, they had listened to him teach. They gathered around and said, teach us, keep, we're, we're listening. They're soaking in everything that he had to say. For three years, they've been empowered by him to do powerful things. They're kind of trying out their own God-given power. For three years, they had followed him and learned. They watched him die. They watched him rise again. And now, now Jesus says, I invested three years in you. Not so that you may stay huddled together. Not so that, so that you might just stick together. I invested three years in you so that you would be empowered to now scatter all around the world for the cause of the kingdom. He empowered them to be leaders for his kingdom purpose. Right, so in Matthew 28, he gathers them together for the final instruction. He says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have given you. Jesus sends them out with his authority. All authority has been given to him. I'm King of kings and Lord of lords and taking my throne. Know that. And now, because of this authority, the disciples can go in confidence, and they can make an eternal impact on the world around them. Because of that authority, they can make that shift from simply being followers, tentative, scared, learning, to being leaders that go out boldly for his kingdom purposes. That's exactly what they do. Twelve men change the world through the power of the Spirit. They become leaders in the greatest movement of all history. They release the transforming power of Jesus into a world that desperately needs to be transformed. By the power of Jesus, the king on his throne, they step up from being just followers, being leaders in the kingdom of God. And if we, if you and I recognize the truth of the ascension, if we see Jesus as the rightful king on his throne, if we believe that that's where he is right now, then our lives will be transformed as well. We will recognize Jesus as the reigning king. And we will recognize the power of his Holy Spirit released into our lives. 
And they were recognizing the opportunity and the invitation to take that next step in our own lives and to be leaders for God's kingdom purposes, empowered by the king, passionate about his purposes. That's why the disciples celebrated when they said goodbye to the Jesus they knew about. They walked away with joy. They praised God. Why? Because they understood that it was a brand new relationship now. It was a brand new phase. They were making the shift. They were making the shift to the Holy Spirit era that we're living in right now. They were making the shift to Jesus sitting on his throne as King of Kings. They were making the shift because they were given a kingdom purpose and a kingdom power to live out by the power of the king. And so they celebrated. They celebrated Ascension Day, not as an event, but as a life transformation, a significant shift in how they understood their relationship with God. And that's exactly what we need to do too. I'm not going to go on some campaign to make a Ascension Day a national holiday. I fully expect that next year when I ask, anybody wish, wish somebody a happy Ascension Day, that no one will raise their hands again. Okay, that's okay. It's just not about the one day. It's about every day. It's about every day that's changed because of that one day. Our lives must be different because the king is on his throne. Our lives must be different because the Holy Spirit has been released. Our lives must be different because we have been called to be leaders for God's kingdom purposes. Every day we live with confidence, knowing the king is on his throne, the spirit is at work, and we are called. So how will that truth change you? Will it shape you at all? How will it shape you later today? In your interactions, maybe with family? So you may have lunch with family, maybe? Will it change your interactions with your neighbors today? If you run into them? How will, it, how will you live differently tomorrow? Knowing the king is on his throne, the spirit is in you, and the calling has been given to you. Will it change anything at work? Will it change anything at school if you're walking the hallways? Will it change you at all out on the sports field, the court? Will you live your life differently? The king is on his throne, the spirit is in you, the calling is yours. Will you shift gears along with God? Will you live out this new era that King Jesus is ushered into your life? Let's pray for ways to do that. Father, we're so often like your disciples before Ascension Day. We're timid. We're scared to act. We just want to hide. We love you, yes, but we're scared to be bold for you. And Father, you filled them with your spirit. You changed everything about that relationship. And you gave them the boldness and the confidence of knowing that Jesus was their king. You filled them with your Holy Spirit. And they went out and you changed the world through them. 
It might not be your design, Father, to change the world through us. But you do want to change the little corner of the world through us. There are lives you want to shape and change through us. There are purposes that you want to live out through us. There is brokenness you want to fix through us. There are lives you want to save through us. Father, make us New Testament era believers. Remind us often that the King is on his throne, and with Jesus on the throne, we cannot lose. Remind us often that the Spirit is at work and moving, and with the Spirit moving in us, we can go with confidence and boldness and trust you for whatever results need to happen. Remind us often of our kingdom purpose. Don't let us get so caught up in our own lives, Jesus, that we miss your purposes. May we be your kingdom ambassadors, your kingdom agents to this world, empowered by you, eager to see your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please